as weird as it might seem or it may seem uncomfortable to you, it's actually not a problem for the baby. It doesn't cause them any harm. It's just more of a sound that they make similar to what we mentioned earlier, but it's not anything that's going to cause them any sort of difficulty or a sign of anything bad. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the tools, knowledge, and confidence you need to erase the unknowns, feel in control, and have an even better birth no matter how you deliver. My name is Liesl Teen, mom of two, practicing labor and delivery nurse, and your host. From over eight years and counting of working at the bedside, I know that knowledge is the key to an even better birth. So tune in each week to learn about all things pregnancy, birth, and postpartum from me, a labor and delivery nurse that's seen it all. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I am joined by my friend and fellow podcaster, Dr. Mona from Peds Doc Talk. Dr. Mona Amin is a pediatrician and parenting expert who equips parents with the tools they need to thrive and feel confident in parenthood. In today's episode, Dr. Mona is going to go through 10 newborn realities with us that are actually very, very normal. Things like hiccups, day and night reversal, and feeding volumes. She put together the things that parents of newborns are often really worried about, but are actually considered par for the course. So get ready to get some newborn education on and feel a little more like a pro in those early days and weeks, because sometimes it's hard to feel like you know what you're doing because you feel like you don't know what you're doing. And after you're done with this episode, you can keep learning about the newborn days with Mona. She was on my podcast before way, way, way back in episode nine when she came on the show to answer your most common newborn questions. But for now, let's get into our list of 10 common newborn behaviors with the wonderful Dr. Mona. Hi, Mona. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's so nice to be back. And I love connecting with you. And can't wait to chat with you today. We're podcast buddies. You have your own podcast and it's huge. And how long have I known you? Like three, four years, something like that. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I joined social media in 2019 and you were one of the first people that I followed because I think I had mentioned this on the other episode too. If people haven't listened to that one episode we've done already on your show, you were one of the first people I followed because everyone was saying, oh, people don't do education on social media. It's not a reality. And then one of my friends was following you because she had a newborn and she Ah. utilized your resources for obviously postpartum and preparing for delivery. And she was like, you have to follow this account. And I'm like, Wow. When I joined, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Look at what she's doing. She's educating and it works. And so you were my inspiration telling me before it got really popular (laughs) to educate on social media that this is doable. Now it's like I can't get away from education. It's like everyone's trying to tell me something right on social media. (laughs) I know. I know. So you're one of the pioneers for education. So I love it. I was. I was. I really appreciate that. So that's how (laughs) I obviously reached out to you. I've told you this before, but you helped me in terms of helping me grow my platform in terms of like sharing my account, connecting. We talked a lot about the whole world of social media. And, you know, at that point you didn't have your podcast. I think at that point it was your Instagram, your courses. I was just blown away. And again, I'm just so amazed and awesome to watch what you're going through. And it's just so nice to connect. And like I said, I I feel like I know you in real life, even though I haven't met you yet. But one day it's crazy. One day, one day I met Mama Dr. Jones in real life last year. And that was surreal. And I met a few other people on social media. 
And it's just weird because, yeah, you feel like you just already know them. What I thought was so interesting was seeing somebody 2D on Zoom is like so much different than seeing them in real life because you're like, oh, you have this freckle here that I never noticed. And like something about your features or your mannerisms, you know, I'm only seeing you from like, you know, waist up all the time or in videos or something you're walking. But it's like so different to see somebody in 3D. Oh, I know. (laughs) I only met one person that I've met on social media and that was Dr. Marta Perez. She's an OB also. Yeah, yeah. Love her. Florida, but like there's so many people and like you said you almost feel like you do kind of know their mannerisms and then when you meet them in person you're like are you the same yeah. vibe or are you different like yes i love it so yeah. one day it's gonna happen it will next year we're gonna do this we will we will <laughs> <laughs> all right well you kind of already told our listeners a little bit about yourself yes. but can you just give us the breakdown where you're at on the internet and your podcast and tell us about what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So I have a platform called Pete's Doc Talk. So P-E-D-S Doc, D-O-C-T-A-L-K, Pete's Doc Talk, one word. And I started as an Instagram account to share health development and parenting information. And it's kind of blossomed into a podcast, a YouTube channel, e-courses. I'm launching some toddler courses this coming spring in May of 2023. And so it's been a really great platform just to kind of share the ups and downs of parenthood, but also just educating families with all the stuff that I know from child development, parenting and health without shame, without judgment, and really just laying out all the facts like, hey, this is something you can try. This is not harmful. Remembering that there is so much nuance in health, Mm -hmm. parenting and development. So it's been so much fun. So doing what you do. And one of the things that I started doing was creating a course for new moms, especially to Mm -hmm. navigate them through that first year. So talking about feeding, so breast formula, baby led weaning, purees, sleep if they want to sleep train, and then also talking about development. And then one of the biggest things I talk about, and I have a handout in my course, is weird things that newborns do. Because I have so many times that parents come in, especially those new parents, that are like, look, my kid is doing this thing and I don't know if it's normal, but is it normal? So that's what we're going to chat about today. 10 things that newborns do that are actually really normal. And I don't want to scare parents because I feel like this is so many times that they come in and they're like worried and I'm going to really normalize, probably talk to you also about when to be concerned about these things. But mm-hmm. I want to really kind of squash any concerns parents may have when they hear all these things that will go over. Yeah, there's a lot too. I remember when I was in the hospital with my first one, right? Fresh postpartum. And mm-hmm. the nurse said, yeah, babies are very loud. Like you'll notice yes. that they grunt sometimes and they just make noises next to you. And she's like, it's normal. But you think that babies are only loud when they're crying, but they can be loud at rest. Like they just make baby noises and that's totally okay. <laughs> yes, that would be my 11th one. I actually, that is so common. But yes, you're right. They're making yes. these, <sighs> they yeah. sound just like yeah. old men, like clearing their throat and they'll be fast asleep. And parents will just yeah. be staring at them like, well, what is going on, baby? Like, like a freight yeah. train coming through, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. Crazy. Well, let's talk about this first one. This first one is peeling skin. What is up with that, Mona? Yes. Yeah, so every time every parent will come in and say, look, the skin is peeling. What's going on? And can I do anything about it? So this is really common. And it's some babies, it's going to look even more prominent. Like you're going to have a baby that feels like, oh my gosh, like their skin is just peeling all over. A lot of it has to do with baby being in a water environment for nine mm-hmm. months. Obviously, mm-hmm. some babies may be a little earlier than that, especially if we have those post-date babies, like the babies yeah. after 39 weeks, they had that extra one to two weeks in that watering 
environment, they come out and their body isn't used to not having any moisture, right? Like they're in now going from a water environment to having just the elements of nature on the outside. So they get very dry and that newborn skin peels. And I describe it like peeling like a snake, like, you know, snake skin peels off. It's going to peel. It's going to look really dry and rough. And then once that peels, you're going to see that baby's usual, typical skin complexion, skin texture is going to be much different. So with this, it is totally fine to just leave it. It's not harmful Mm -hmm. to the baby. It's not going to hurt them. If it's really bothering you, because I can tell you it's not going to bother the baby. They're too young to understand. You can use any like non-fragrance lotion or mm-hmm. anything that's not fragranced or super harsh. Any baby lotion that's non-fragranced is perfectly reasonable to use. It can really help them. Are you in search of the perfect pump for your breastfeeding days? Proven to provide more milk in less time, the Motif Luna is a powerful breast pump that's built for modern motherhood and covered by insurance. With a battery-powered or non-battery version, the Luna is perfect for today's busy mom. The Motif Luna Breast Pump is lightweight and sleek, quiet and customizable so you can quickly find what works best for you and your baby. The Luna also features a backlit LCD screen, built-in nightlight, closed system, quiet motor and auto shut off. And the battery powered model gives you even more freedom and flexibility with a rechargeable battery that lasts over two hours. But beyond the features and ease of use, the Luna works. In a third-party study, five out of six moms reported more milk and less time than the leading pump brands. As a pumping mama, I personally used and loved my Luna pump. The expression mode works to express milk as efficiently as possible, while the massage mode would stimulate my letdown by mimicking my baby's natural nursing pattern. Sophisticated, strong, and soothing, covered by insurance, get ready to make your pumping days easier with the Motif Luna. To learn more about the Luna and order one for your breastfeeding and pumping journey, head on over to MotifMedical.com. And as a special offer for all MLN podcast listeners, you can get 15% off site-wide, including the Luna plus all supplies and accessories with the code MLN23. Some exclusions may apply. That's code MLN23 for 15% off site-wide at motifmedical.com. And that's to say, too, can you talk about the vernix and how that kind of plays into it? Because I know that you talked about post-dates when babies are post-dates, they have a lot less vernix on them. And that kind of goes hand in hand with that, you know, the peeling and the moisturizing of the skin. Yeah. So that vernix is that kind of coating of that skin that parents will see. It's usually creamy. It's usually Mm -hmm. like, again, in that first time after delivery. And sometimes obviously when they get the bath, it's going to get washed off. But really, we recommend leaving it on the skin. And I know you know that delaying the bath if we can, just because it does provide some protection of the newborn skin, also some immune properties there. So we do like it as a coating of the skin. But yes, it's very common whether the vernix was wiped away early or not. It is very common to see that dryness appealing um, and yeah. the peeling. Yes. And it's something that will get better. I think parents, when they see their newborn baby, I think a lot of times we expect the baby to look pristine when they come 
out, like no blemishes, no acne. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk about that. And then all of a sudden we see like this sort of peeling. And so parents are like, oh, well, what about my baby yeah, photo? I like, know. I want the cute photo. I'm like, look, it's going to get better. Usually yeah. I see it improve two, three weeks of age that you're not seeing that sort of peely, peely skin. And I've seen it pretty significant to the point where parents are like, this has to be some sort of infection or yeah. rash. And I'm like, nope, it's just skin peeling. Of course, if a parent sees like redness or yeah. it maybe seems very uncomfortable, but I've been practicing for seven years. I've never seen peeling skin be at that age, you know, a concern. So something just to monitor as long as the baby's overall well. Right. And scratching too. They come out sometimes and they've just got scratches and then they scratch themselves again. And that is not so good for the photo hops either. I know. I get it. I understand why parents care about that. Nothing bad about that. I get it. But yes, all of this is totally normal. And the scratching and the guilt from scratching. I know. Oh my gosh. I need to put my, you know, mittens on. I'm like, it's totally normal. They're never going to scratch themselves to permanent harm or injury or damage. You know, just keep the nails either filed short, cut short, but they need to kind of get used to their hands. stuff. So no need to, you know, bundle them all up in mittens and all that. It's something that they will learn that I probably shouldn't scratch my face over and over. (laughs) It's not something I should do. So totally normal as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go into this second one. This one is cluster feeding. Talk to us about that. And you probably experienced this as well. Oh my gosh. It's common, you know, people feel like it's only breastfed babies, but it does happen in formula fed babies. I will say though, you know, I'm also an IBCLC lactation consultant. Mm -hmm. I will say that it's more common in breastfed babies. So this cluster feeding, I'm sure people who have already been through this phase know what it is, but if you have not, cluster feeding is when your baby is kind of doing your normal feedings. Maybe it's like 20, 25 minutes on both breasts or one breast. And then all of a sudden, they're doing rapid feedings in succession. Like they're just doing like every 10, every 15, or just feel like they're constantly on the breast. Now, cluster feeding is actually really normal because in a physiological way, clustering allows you to produce more milk. We know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In order to produce breast milk, we have to eliminate it, right? So if your baby is clustering, that means that they're eliminating milk from your breast and then the milk will be able to fill back in into the breast, making you produce more and more. So clustering is actually really common in that first six weeks. And it's going to feel very stressful sometimes because it can go from your baby being on some sort of quote unquote rhythm. And then all of a sudden it's like, what is going on? Like all of a sudden my baby wants to feed all the time. It's very, very common. Now, if you're concerned that they're clustering, I'm putting that in air quotes, and they're mm-hmm. not gaining weight. They're seeming very hungry after, like their body's not relaxed after, their fists are tight. They just seem like they're searching for food. I like to differentiate that clustering is a true sort of, they're hungry, they want it, they're feeding, they're relaxed after, but they want it again. Mm-hmm. If a baby is feeding and you call it clustering, but they're not satisfied, then I'm concerned that are we getting enough, right? So there is a right. nuance there that we don't want to say that every time a baby goes to the breast, that that means that they're, oh, clustering and that's okay. But if you're finding that your baby seems to want to feed all the time and is just not seeming at all relaxed after, satisfied at all. And more importantly, you're just feeling like, oh, they're not gaining weight. They're not making wet diapers. Then we're dealing with, let's make sure production is not an issue. Let's make sure that weight is not an issue. And then we'd like to see that baby in the office. But if your baby's happy, 
relaxed, making pee, comfortable in between. That is very common. And we wait it out in terms of just offering it, making sure that you're protecting your mental health. If it's getting draining, having yeah. help if you can, um, just because I understand that it can feel draining, especially in the middle of the night when your baby wants to feed every two hours to yeah. help increase your supply. Did you go through that? Because you breastfed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. With yeah. both of mine, too. And I was going to say it was a mindset shift for me with my second one because I looked at cluster feeding way more in a positive light than I did yes. with my first one because I basically was like, well, the more times that he goes to the breast, the better that my milk supply is going to be. So, hey, like, let's just keep feeding because I, I had a lot of issues with my milk supply the first time. So it was tough, right? I mean, it wasn't like, yay, I get to breastfeed 15 times today. Yes, (laughs) But it was that mindset shift that really helped me like, okay, well, this does mean he's trying to up my milk supply. He wasn't losing weight or he was making wet diapers. I knew it wasn't that issue. It's just he was cluster feeding and he was trying to tell my body like, hey, make more milk. And so I just looked at it like, okay, let's make more milk. I love it. I love it because that actually helps the stress of breastfeeding. And we know that the stress is not a great place for anyone, but for breastfeeding, especially the obsession, the worry, all of that can really help tank our supply. And we don't want that. So really just saying, I got this. We're going to figure it out. I love it. It's such a good mindset. It helps so much in all aspects of that postpartum experience. Yeah, I know it's hard, though, sometimes to find that, but it is important. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, this next one kind of goes in with cluster feeding Mm because I feel like they do this when they're a little bit mixed up. This next one is mixing up their days and nights. How do they know when it is eight o'clock in the morning versus eight o'clock at night? And sometimes they're up. (laughs) This is one of those things that I knew before becoming a parent myself. But of course you experience it and you're like, oh, well, here we go. But I remember I had a lot of friends who were like, they'd have their baby. And that first two weeks, they're like, oh my gosh, my baby's sleeping amazing. Like, this is so great. And then all of a sudden they don't remember, okay, what's day, what's night? They're up during the night, sleeping during the day. And the parents get really nervous because they're like, well, this wasn't the case. Like, why are their nights and days mixed up? I want them to sleep through the night. And we have to really normalize newborn sleep here. So to answer your question, around one month to six weeks is when we can see more of a circadian rhythm. And that circadian rhythm is, you know, you're awake during the day, you get sleepy towards the end of the day, you fall asleep at night, and then you wake up early in the morning. When Mm -hmm. I say some sort of circadian rhythm, obviously a six-week-old is not going to be fully sleeping through the night. I know some babies who have, and that's awesome and a rarity, but that's great. But it's not unusual. And before that six week mark for a baby to be up at night, uh, sleeping during the day, and that can really stress parents out. And kind of what you said about that mindset shift on cluster feeding, really saying to yourself, this is a normal phase. You know, obviously there are things that we can do, which is when it is bedtime, which is nighttime, like sleeping overnight, making it dark, making it cool. But even that in the daytime, if your baby is not getting like full darkness for naps in the daytime under the age of six weeks, it's okay. They can still sleep if they want. You don't have to have it pitch black during the day, but at night you're going to have that dark space. When you are awake with the baby, you're going to take them out. But as you and I both know, in that newborn period, in that first six weeks, they're sleeping and feeding a lot. So you're not going to time them to like, okay, now I'm going to go outside and get sunlight. And now I'm going to do this. You're kind of letting them lead the cues. And then just by nature, that Mm -hmm. rhythm is going to come. And that has a lot to do with melatonin production and Mm -hmm. things like that. That's going to help them 
understand that, oh, nights are for sleep and days are for being awake. And they were in a dark environment for nine months, like I said, with the peeling skin too. Like they don't understand day and night cycles. And that's how a lot of our circadian rhythm is created with not only just natural melatonin, but our natural cycle of seeing daylight in the morning, getting dark at night. And they don't have that yet, but they will. So really be patient that first six weeks, change your mindset and understand that, hey, this is normal. I'm not going to put my newborn baby on these extra expectations that they have to sleep through the night at this age, or they must be doing this because it's very natural for them to have that abnormal sleep cycles, but also just those days and nights mixed up for sure. For sure. It's rough. Yeah. Very normal. (laughs) Yes. All right. The sound of that heartbeat means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. This one says, I can't say thank you enough for your awesome course. Oh, I'm two weeks postpartum and I am still so proud of myself for making it through labor naturally. I could never have done it without y'all. All of your tips and tricks. Oh, I love that. I'm not even trying to say like my course is the best course in the world, whatever. I just love that. I hear this so often that people say, I am so, so proud of myself, regardless of if you went natural, you got an epidural, but I hear that so much in messages that I get from you guys who have taken my courses that they have this feeling, just kind of this proud feeling just kind of last through postpartum and it just warms my heart. She says, you do such a great job of giving actual tools that can help. This was my second baby and I went in so much more confident and informed than with my first. My husband was also so much more prepared to be a bigger help to me. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so, so sweet. If you want to have an even better birth, just like this mama, head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash courses to learn more about our three online on-demand birth classes. So this next one definitely takes girl moms by surprise. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. this breast buds and vaginal discharge for the baby, not for you. Yes, I know. Right. Everyone's like, well, duh, like this is going to happen for me. This is actually a really cool one to talk about, because like I said, it's one of those shock things that parents come in for. And breast buds can be in both babies that are boy or babies that are girls. Mm -hmm. It has a lot to do with hormones from the mom, right? Hormones from being in utero. They come out and it's almost like a baby period, baby Maybe puberty is what I describe it. And they develop these breast buds and these breast buds are going to sometimes feel like little marbles underneath the nipples. We do not want you to touch them, play with them too much because that can aggravate them. Just let them be. And then also because of hormones from the pregnancy being in utero, little girls can develop vaginal discharge, which looks like a little period. So when you wipe them, you can see vaginal discharge, you know, that yellowish whitish discharge that we as women get as well. Yeah. also blood and it shouldn't be copious. Like I'm not talking like it's going to be like how we get, it's going to be just like smears of it. And you're going to be like, what is this? And Mm -hmm. it should go away by two to three weeks as they kind of adjust to being out of utero. But it has a lot to do with those maternal hormones. Very, very common. And it's all benign, very common and nothing to worry about. And you just kind of wipe front to back. If you see it, no scrubbing and rubbing for any of that discharge, no need to clean third. Like you don't need to go wild with any sort of fancy cleaning. And then with the breast buds, like I mentioned, trying not to fixate too much because yes, by just over touching and over looking Mm -hmm. at it, then we can kind of get a little more irritated in that area. So just kind of letting it be. Yeah. 
Makes sense. Yeah. It definitely takes you by surprise when you first see it, I'm sure. I see this all the time yeah. and I'm pregnant with number two. I'm sure I'm going to deal with this and it's a girl. So oh, it's very yay. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm going to have the same, probably the vaginal discharge experience yeah. that we probably had. But yes, it's very common to hear it. And I still hear it all the time, which is why I wanted to talk about this on the episode, because I'm like, this is definitely something that needs to be out there in the world that these are all very normal things. I know. Yeah. I feel like when you read the articles, this one definitely isn't in there as much. You know, they talk yeah. about, okay, cluster feeding is, is normal, but yeah. they don't talk about that. A baby girl might have a little period. <laughs> I yes. swear. I don't yes. see that very often on the internet. So I'm glad that we're talking about it today. Yeah. Well, this next one is blue hands and feet. What is that about? Yeah. So this is also something that can be super scary. And I'll clarify when we would be concerned about this, but their hands and feet will come out looking more purple or blue than the rest of their body. And I think you've talked a lot about APGAR scores. This is why Mm -hmm. no baby really gets a perfect APGAR, like a 10 out of 10. Like they're going to have a nine because they get blueness on the feet and hands, which is completely, completely normal. And this is actually the medical name. If people like to be nerdy about it is called acrocyanosis. And it's common due to normal limited blood flow to the area. So their blood flow system is obviously developing. They don't have as much blood flow to the hands and feet and it self resolves. And, you know, parents will say that their hands are so cold or their feet are cold. Absolutely. But again, I I like footy pajamas or little socks when they sleep, but Mm -hmm. having their hands open and not putting mittens on them is actually not a bad thing. It's you don't have to keep their hands covered. It's not like you doing that is going to make this acrocyanosis worse. It's something that will just get better on its own. So don't feel like if you see the blue, that means that you have to put mittens on. It's just a very natural process that will resolve. Now, blueness on the hands and feet, I have no problem with, but of course, like blueness in the middle section of the body. So around the lips, the nose, the midsection, like the stomach, belly, of course, we'd want to know that, but hands and feet, not concerned everywhere else. Like if it's in the middle of the body or around the lips, please let us know. Or obviously if you're in the hospital, your staff should probably see that as well. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Well, this next one happens definitely from birth because this is something that the reflexes that they check right after birth. But Mm -hmm. let's talk about that startle reflex and just tremors in general. Yeah. So babies have a very prominent Moro, M-O-R-O reflex. And this is actually one of the very common reflexes we want to see in -hmm. newborns, which is like you said, the startle reflex. So the exam would be like they're laying on their back and the doctor may lift up their body just ever so slightly off the table and then let them go. Obviously no injury there, but Mm -hmm. very slightly you'll see and their hands will just kind of jerk, you know, like they'll just Mm kind of go, whoa, and their hands will jerk back and forth. Very common to have that normal moral reflex until about three, four months, it goes away. Now, also because of their very immature nervous system, they are just very jerky and they'll move their body a lot when startled. So if a door slams, if a Mm -hmm. dog barks, like very small things will jerk them. It doesn't mean that it's going to impact them in any way. Like people use sound machines, but if you don't use a sound machine, you're not like, it's not a harmful thing. It's literally Mm -hmm. very common for them to have this. And also when they're sleeping, they're going to jerk a lot. So if you were to just stare at your baby, you're going to notice a few things, the noises that we mentioned earlier before we started. Right. And then you also may notice little twitches. Like if you were to just stare at their leg, you'll notice little boop, boop. Right. But the difference with this is that 
this is very normal to see shaking, tremor. Sometimes their leg will just start to all of a sudden just start to shake in a very, very small way. Now, the difference between this and something concerning, and I like to explain this, like it's rare, but like a seizure, right? Seizures are very different, but I like to talk about this because many parents are worried because they're like, is this neurologically normal? A seizure in a newborn or any child, if you were to like place your hand over the leg, like just say the leg is moving. Okay. And you were to hold that leg with not obviously good pressure, like you're holding it down. And if it still is jerking through your hand, like you're still feeling the the rhythmic jerk of it, that's more concerning to us, but a normal tremor shake, if you were to just hold it gently with your hand, like hold the leg down, you would feel it start to suppress. You would feel it start Mm -hmm. to go away and it would just be something that kind of goes and then it may come back, but that's kind of the difference, but it is very common. Parents will be like, wow, they're just so sensitive. You know, there obviously are rare, rare cases. I don't think anyone listening hopefully won't find themselves here. But if a parent has been taking any sort of drugs during pregnancy, there are some situations where babies do have excessive tremors. But as long as you are not taking any street recreational drugs um, during your pregnancy, which I hope you're not, I'm not worried about that. But that is something that we also see. But in the more, by and large, these tremors and shakes are extremely common and they can be kind of like, what is going on, baby? Similar to the sounds that they make that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Another time we see it sometimes is right after birth. If mom has really severe gestational diabetes and babies like the blood sugar is really, really low, they have that yes. low blood sugar shake sometimes. Yes. And that's not normal. We, you know, we want their blood sugar to get up. Like you said, they are loud and they just move a lot. <laughs> yes. It's just, that's just how they are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned about the dog barking or a door slamming. And I wanted to just make a note. They have that moral reflex when that happens, but that doesn't necessarily always wake them up. Correct. Yeah. It is a reflexive thing. All of this is completely, like I said, they're doing it within their sleep, similar to the noises that they make. So it's not like it's going to startle them awake. They could be fast asleep and they just go, boop, their body just shakes like that and they settle back down completely normal. Right. Yeah. Well, this next one is hiccups. Talk to us about that, because sometimes you can feel it. You can still feel you can uh, feel them while you're still pregnant. Yes. So this is actually really an interesting one because I do believe there's a correlation and I don't have a study to back this up, but if a pregnant person was feeling that baby hiccup in utero, Mm -hmm. then they're more likely to have it when they get out of the womb. Mm -hmm. Like my son never hiccuped. Like I never felt him and he never had hiccups as a newborn. Like I never felt him hiccup at all. Like when he was a baby, never. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with this baby when I'm pregnant (laughs) right now. But hiccups are very, very common. And like I said, especially if you felt them in utero and they also have to do with the immaturity or irritation of the nerve that goes down to the diaphragm. And a lot of it just has to do with them getting older. So irritation, Mm -hmm. meaning you don't have to do anything, but yes, if they're drinking something like breast milk or formula, you know, when they drink, the liquid could hit the nerves going down to the diaphragm or Mm. the proximity of it and cause that sort of spasm that goes that hiccup sound that you hear but there's nothing that i need you to do like you don't need to startle your baby make them drink water like you know when adults have hiccups they really do go away on its own and hiccups are one of those things that a lot of grandparents in my office will come in and say oh yeah i'm gonna give them some tea that they can drink for it and i'm like It's actually not necessary to do any of that. As weird as it might seem, or it may seem uncomfortable to you, it's actually not a problem for the baby. It doesn't cause them any harm. It's just more of a sound that they make, similar to what we mentioned earlier, but it's not anything that's going to cause them any sort of difficulty or a sign of anything bad. 
Got it. And I wanted to just touch on quickly because I'm about to do a post on this soon is utero hiccups. There is some talk that that people think that that for some reason it's harmful if you feel hiccups in the womb that it's like harmful or it means something. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, have you not heard of that? No, no. Oh, yeah. If you Google baby hiccups in the womb, there is definitely myths out there that people think the blood flows off. It's something with utero compression, I think, or I'm sorry, umbilical cord compression. But I just wanted to touch on that, that like, hey, if for some reason someone told you that if you feel hiccups, there's something wrong with baby, that's not true. (laughs) Like hiccups are totally normal in utero. Yeah. And I know you also talk a lot about like move fetal movements and stuff like that, but it all goes in the same. Like, of course, yes. if there's concern of there not being like fetal movement and things like that, but yeah, Correct. hiccups are actually really common in utero. And also after they come out, it's a big picture thing. I imagine like, it's not anything like, Oh, hiccups alone. It's okay. Hiccups. Do you feel movement in general? Right. You know, right. Are you going for your monitoring? But yes, I agree. Isolated. I'm not concerned for sure. Yeah. Are you a third trimester mama that's wondering what you should actually be doing to get prepared for birth and baby? What if I told you I have a free third trimester prep pack to take the guesswork away? It's true. Inside of this jam-packed set of printable PDFs, you'll get instant access to our super popular hospital bag checklist, birth plan templates created by my team of L&D nurses, a third trimester to-do list with over 20 different things on it, my exclusive list of postpartum essentials, and more. It's an instant free pregnancy planner to get and keep you on track in your third trimester. To grab the third trimester prep pack for free, simply head over to mommylabornurse.com slash third trimester. That's mommylabornurse.com slash T-H-I-R-D trimester for your free third trimester prep pack. Well, this next one is periodic breathing. What's that mm. about? I wish I had a video to show this, but periodic breathing is also kind of in line with all those weird things that babies do, um, especially with noises. But periodic breathing is when a baby breathes very fast. And I'm going to kind of do this, but they go. Mm-hmm. If you were to look at your baby, you're going to see their chest and it's going to go bup, 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 rapid. Like they're going to mm-hmm. breathe very fast. And then it's going to slow and then breathe very fast and it's going to slow. And so this is actually really common. It's a very, very appropriate breathing pattern for a newborn postpartum up until about two months of age. We're going to see this sort of periodic breathing where they breathe fast and slow it down. Now, the difference here when, you know, obviously I would love parents to know when is difficulty breathing a reality is when it's just constantly fast for example, color change. And even if there's not color change, you're just seeing those ribs retract quickly in and out and there's no reprieve, right? It's just literally fast, 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 fast. That is different, but it is not unusual. And I know a lot of parents listening are probably just staring at their baby, looking Mm -hmm. at their peeling skin, looking at the noises, looking at the twitches that they do, the hiccups, and also this. It can happen while they're sleeping. It can happen while they're awake, but it's more concerning for parents when the baby's sleeping, right? Every parent worries about their sleeping baby. I think it's like a common thing. Like they want to stare at the baby. They just want to look at the baby. But as long as you're safe sleep, you know, doing all the things you need to do, they're in the safest environment that they are. But the periodic breathing is that sort of fast, fast, fast slow it down. And it's a very common thing. And you don't have to wake them up. Please don't startle Mm -hmm. them awake. Let your sleeping baby sleep. And then they're going to be just fine. But it's a very common thing I wanted to make sure that parents know is very normal. Yeah. Yeah. Good. 
Good. We got two more. This next one is baby's cross-eyed. That's <laughs> kind yes. of goofy to see. I think it's so goofy and so cute. <laughs> I know. Some babies come out of the womb looking like ready to go. Like their eyes are wide open. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm ready to start life. And others, like I have to pry their eyes open to be able to examine their eyes at the newborn visit. Like they're just so drowsy the first two weeks. It's it's like such a difference. Yeah. But most babies you're going to notice, especially like as they get into that two week, one month mark, that they appear cross-eyed. So just say they have a toy near them, they are not able to focus on things very close to them, right? Things are blurry to them. And also they're more likely to look at like black and white contrast images and actually make out faces and things like that. So in order to focus and the immaturity of their nervous system and their eyes, they're going to cross a lot and it's going to feel like, wow, why are they always looking cross-eyed? And another thing is they may just appear cross-eyed, even though they're not, because they have a very flat nasal bridge. Like, you know, as adults, we have a very prominent nasal bone but with babies it's cute it's flat their nose is small but if you go to where the nose is then go all the way top where the bridge is between the eyes it's very flat so because of that it can look like they're cross-eyed it's something we call pseudo strabismus and it's actually a very common thing now if a baby past four months is still seeming to be Mm cross-eyed to a parent or one eye is crossing more than the other or fixed like that, or they're feeling like by three months, they're not able to like track an object. Like, you know, like if you would have a rattle and move it across their visual field, if they're not tracking, then of course I'd want an evaluation for the eyes, but cross-eyed alone under the age of four months in a child who's developing well is a completely benign thing. Yeah. It's just, like I said, goofy to see. <laughs> yes, it's cute. I mean, I have some pictures of them, of my son, like, you know, it is cute and goofy. And of course, if it's prolonged, then I understand that it's not cute anymore. We want to make sure that we evaluate the cuteness as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, completely one of those things I commonly see. Yes. Well, this last one is the honeymoon period of sleep. That sounds so great, but what is it? Yes. And I actually briefly mentioned this when I talked about mixing up days and nights, but another one of those things that I like to normalize and that again, just to reiterate is that when you bring a baby home and this is also very common, I'm drawing a blink on the second night syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? When the baby comes out and the first night the parents are like, this is great. And then the second night in the hospital, it's like, what the heck is happening? There's a few normal things I see. One is that second night syndrome is very common where the second night at the hospital or wherever you are is more of a kind of wild night. The second time that you can get a little wildness is when you go home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. Anytime I see families Mm -hmm. in my office, they got discharged day two, day four, whatever it is. They come to me and I'm chatting with them and I'm like, how are y'all doing? How are you doing at home? And they're like, we got discharged yesterday and last night was horrible. And I'm like, listen, I totally get it. You all are just adjusting to a new environment. The baby also is adjusting to this new environment from a new environment, like having to go from womb to hospital, to home, like everyone's adjusting. And again, this is one of those things that I like to just reframe mindset is some babies come out and the parents are like, wow. I don't know what anyone else is talking about. This baby thing is so easy. Mm -hmm. They eat, Mm -hmm. they sleep, they can sleep anywhere. They don't cry. And for the first two weeks, parents feel like they hit the jackpot, which I think is wonderful if you feel that way. But I always like when I'm in the office and they're telling me this, I always like to normalize and say, I think this is wonderful. I love that you're getting this experience. And I think parenthood is awesome, but I don't want you to be alarmed if things switch. 
Because what happens is then I get that phone call at two, three weeks, doctor, something must be wrong. My child is feeding and gaining weight, but they're not sleeping and they're more fussy and crying. And it's very common for them to go through this honeymoon period for the first two weeks where they don't realize that they're now have to do work outside, right? That they have to feed, they have to poop laying down. They can't just poop in the amniotic fluid anymore. Like there's a lot of work that has to happen for that newborn. And they realize, oh shoot, like I got to do this now outside of the womb. And it's an adjustment period, right? So this is very normal. Now, of course, if your baby is like fussy to the point where you feel like they have a fever, they're not feeding, then I'm concerned. But a lot of this is also getting into your rhythm of, okay, what are my go-to for soothing my child? Am I going to rock them? Am I going to walk around with them with a carrier? Am I going to, you know, bounce on a bouncy ball with them? Because that honeymoon period, if you experience it, can really shock you because you're like, oh, there's something must be wrong because my amazing baby who slept and ate is no longer doing that. And it's not always the case, right? Very rarely is it something medical. Usually it's just nature. It's the fact that they realize oh, wow, I have stimulation out here. There's a sibling running around. There's a dog, yeah. there's garbage trucks. Like it's just, and lights, like they just realize that they're a human now in a way. Yeah. And I find it also with my premature babies, like, you know, parents coming in, maybe they were in the NICU for like a week or two, um, like a 35 weeker. And they're coming in like adjust. they're now 37 weeks if you adjust. And I'm like, they're like, yeah, they're just so sleepy all the time, but everything's going great. And then they sort of snaps, right? They all of a sudden click and yep. it's like, they're awake more and it's a good thing. right they're out of the womb like they should understand but i just understand also that it can shock a lot of parents and i don't want you to be scared of that experience yeah for sure i'm glad you mentioned the preterm thing too because i was going to say that that 37 week baby can be a very very different experience than like a 41 week baby yeah and again all this stuff is so important the 10 things we talked about i have like so many more um that i go over but it's just so important because like i said these things happen and i hear them so much as a pediatrician and i'm sure even for you in the postpartum you know labor delivery you're also like dealing with a lot of that stuff like hey this is happening right and it's just nice for parents to hear like hey this is when it's normal this is something you're not alone with i get that this is frustrating all those feelings because we know that postpartum experience experience can feel very isolating when it's just you. And then also every parent wants the best interest for their newborn. And I get that feeling. I've been there. I know exactly how it is. And on the other side as well, coaching parents, you know, walking them off a ledge to make sure they understand that, you know what, I get it. I understand that this is really unusual for you, but it's not something I don't see. And I want to really normalize these very common things that these little cute, adorable humans are doing. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, that is a great way to end this episode. Yes. Can you remind our listeners where they can find you here on social media and the internet and yes. on your podcast. So your best bet is to go to Peds Doc Talk, which again is P-E-D-S-D-O-C-T-A-L-K on Instagram and also my website, pedsdoctalk.com. That's where you'll also be able to access the YouTube channel, my mm-hmm. podcast as well, and any of the e-courses that I have. And yes, that's the website and my Instagram are my hub. And I just started venturing out into TikTok, uncharted territory <laughs> oh, yeah. um, at the time of this recording. But yes, I am pretty much on every major platform trying to spread to new parents all over wherever they're at <laughs> love it love it mona yes. thank you so much it's always a pleasure thank always you so, a pleasure. so much yes. Yes. can't wait to meet you in real life one day i know <laughs> yes have a great day you too
Oh, she is just the best. I just got off with her and I just love Mona, you guys. She is just a ball of energy and happiness. And you guys need to go follow her on Instagram and her YouTube channel and her podcast. Oh, just love, love, love her. Next week, we are going to be talking about induction. And specifically, I'm going to go through all of the different ways that you can be induced. It'll be a nice little in-depth induction episode. So if you have an induction on the horizon or you know maybe you were thinking you might be induced, definitely a really, really great episode to tune into. So I will see you guys next week. Already feeling a little more confident about pregnancy, birth, and newborn life? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can continue to erase the unknowns and never miss an episode. And if you're looking for even more, Instagram is definitely where I hang out the most. Come join our community of more than a half a million moms for birth education, tips, and solidarity. You can find me at mommy.labornurse. Check out today's show notes and a searchable library of every Mommy Labor Nurse podcast episode at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to head to the blog to learn about our online birth classes too. See you next week. And remember, you can have an even better birth no matter how you deliver.